morning. My name is Lilian Ate. I'm part of the art, uh, worship and art team here at Lake Avenue. And I really love this church. One of the things that I love about this church is our passion and love for the Word of God. And scripture, I love the way we read scripture together in church. I didn't get to see that anywhere um, in most places, but I really praise God for the fact that we have the opportunity to read scripture together. And scripture is never long because they are words of eternal life. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Our scripture reading today is from John chapter 6, from verse 14 to 36 and 66 to 69. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they had got into a boat and set off across the lake for Campanium. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rolled about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Then they ask him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they ask him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. It is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is a bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, also give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, 
you have seen me and still you do not believe. After verse 36, Jesus and the people in the crowd engaged in a lengthy debate in the synagogue in Capernaum about Jesus being the bread of life, who alone can give eternal life. That brings us to verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have come, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, it's Memorial Day weekend, so as a weekend like this one, we remember that our world is still imperfect. Isn't that true? It, it's a fact that shouts out to us in times of war. Uh, did you realize that approximately 1.1 million Americans have died in our wars? About half of them in the Civil War, another 40 plus percent in World War II, on this weekend, we declare that we refuse to forget those Americans who have died in war. So many of them, so that we can experience the freedoms we're experiencing right now, this freedom to gather, this freedom to be able to worship God openly. Now, I do extend my thanks and my gratitude-filled respect to all of you who have served our nation in the military. I'm glad you were able to come back home. I'm glad you, you're able to join us today to commemorate Memorial Day weekend. But you know, this weekend, we gather to remember those who did not return. So as we come to church on this weekend, we are just reminded, we live in a world still filled with wars and with terrors of all kinds. One of the things that is central to being a follower of Jesus, to what we believe, is that God is not going to leave this world the way it is. Uh, that God is at work in this world. And that he promises that when he is done, he will right every wrong that there, is, uh, there will be a day when there is no more war, right? We believe that. But when we gather here on a day like this one, we remember there still is pain. There is still a lot of war that is happening, and we acknowledge that God is still here, and God is still at work even when we don't see it. And I'll tell you, I think this comes out in this text that simply by God's providence, we come to today on Memorial Day weekend. There is one passage of it that Lillian, you read that for us so well, that Lillian read for us that I don't want you to miss. I want you to hear this passage. I want you to meditate on it. I want you to take it home with you and apply it to your life. So I'm gonna show it to you right now. I'll probably say it often today. Jesus said to his followers, I am. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him in to the boat. Now, as I read that, it made me ask a couple of questions. I'll tell you what they are. Question one, 
why did you show up at church today? That's the first one. You may be surprised that that's what it made me ask, but it did, because I want to look back and see what brought them to Jesus. And, and we see in verse 15, Jesus, knowing that the crowds intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew. You see, what happened that day in and around the Sea of Galilee has been making me ask that question of why people show up uh, to meet Jesus and why we come into a church. And I'll tell you, the reason why I've been asking that is that I read about these people who would hear about things and then they would come to experience Jesus. Crowds of them on, on this day that we think about, crowds of them from all over the areas, including from some of the Gentile areas, had heard about things, and they were coming there to this remote area in Galilee, supposedly to meet Jesus. I'll just show you a sort of a map so you can get it. I want you to feel this thing. Um, so, so over here on, on the east side is where they were. Usually Jesus spent most of his time on the other side. You see Capernaum? So here, uh, where it says the feeding of 5,000, that's where we're thinking about the feeding of 5,000, just in case you were wondering. It was a very remote, rural kind of area. I've been there to visit it, and I want you to think about them. So these people flocked out there into that remote area because, and, and verse 2 tells us in uh, John 6, they saw the signs that Jesus performed by healing the sick. Then you heard the story of what happened as Lillian was reading. Jesus had been doing all these signs that we've been thinking about the past month. John chapter two. Uh, he had uh, created 180 gallons of wine <laughs> out of just some water at a wedding. John chapter four is a message I, I brought too. This royal official's son was very, very sick and Jesus healed him from afar. Do you remember that? John chapter 5, a message that Jeff, right down here in the front row, preached to us. Down by a pool where there were a lot of sick people, he healed one man who'd been sick for 38 years that were there. And then last week, what Jeff, Pastor Jeff focused on there, he spoke to you of Jesus taking just five loaves and two little fish is what it says, two little fish, and he fed 5,000 men. Well, let me tell you, they weren't just men who were there. I don't know why I didn't count the women. I do know why they didn't, but it's not a good reason. There were probably 15 to 20,000 people who were there. Now, you've got to remember, as we've said, I think almost each week, Jesus said, uh, John said, there are many signs that Jesus did. And John, as an apostle, had been there for them. But these seven signs he picks out were picked out for one particular reason. John chapter 20, verse 31. I've chosen to give you these signs so that you may believe that Jesus is Messiah, the Son of God, and that through him you'll find life, the life that you are looking for. So all of that is to say for the Jewish readers of, of these texts, these signs were the kinds of things that the Jewish people were expecting Messiah would do when he came. So I think I pointed this out on the first message I did. In John 2, when he created all of that wine, why on earth, 180 gallons, would he do such a thing? I said it's because they looked back to the beginning of creation. And when God created, there was an abundance of everything. And they believed that when Messiah comes, there will be abundance again that come through the vines that are there. So today we see something very similar happening in John chapter 6. When Jesus took these uh, five loaves of bread and two little fishes and feeds, you know, 15 to 20,000 people, what it pointed to and what they should have seen if they'd had eyes to see it was that's what Messiah is supposed to do. 
There's going to be a day when people will hunger no more. We don't have to have special community meals where people who can't find meals. He is going to provide. People will never be hungry again. So in John 6, what we're seeing here is Jesus doing yet another miracle, pointing to the fact that he was the long-awaited Messiah. And the people began to sort of get an idea about this, but the other problem was they had a wrong idea of Messiah. <laughs> they thought Messiah was going to be this sort of political and military king and ruler who set them free uh, from the oppression of the government of Rome that they were there, so they, they wanted him to, to give them uh, an abundance of wine, they wanted to make sure that he took away none of the, all the sickness, they wanted to make sure they got plenty of food, and they wanted political freedom too, and they wanted it all. And they wanted it now. So in verse 15, they're here, they're coming to Jesus to try to force him to do that. Are you picturing this? And then Jesus, instead of, I, th I just think if I had 20,000 people coming wanting to hear me preach, I, I, would, I would stay. But um, he withdrew from them. He saw what they'd come to do. They were coming for the wrong reason. So he pulled away, and, and I've been to this area, up into the mountainside that's just a little bit away from where he fed the 5,000 people. I have a picture there just so you can kind of, there are all these little caves up there. I've been in them, I'm glad I came out of them. But I'm quite sure that's where he was. He was hiding in one of those caves at that time. So with him gone, you know, at, at this point, with him gone, the people dispersed. And then night came. The disciples went back down to the boat. And if I put together the way Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John all write about this same event, uh, Jesus went down to the shore. There was a storm, a brewing that was there. And I don't, it's, you get an idea that they didn't really want to go out into the water. But Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 14 that Jesus forced them to go out into the sea. You almost picture him, we don't want to go out, pushing the boat out to go into the sea. And I'll, I'll just tell you, uh, sometimes I've felt Jesus do that to me. Haven't you? Well, the next morning, these crowds came back to the shore, and they realized that the disciples had left, though they knew somehow, they must have had a guard there, that Jesus hadn't been in the boat when the disciples left. So they became frantic, not seeing Jesus around. These frantic and obsessed crowds got into their boats, hurried across the lake to Capernaum in search of Jesus again, and, and you heard Lillian read it. They asked, when did you get here when they saw him there in Capernaum? How, how did you miss the one who was watching for you? And at this point, Jesus took up the issue that made me ask the question, why do we go to church? Why do we go to see Jesus? And uh, at times, Jesus in the series that we've had would say, well, the, reason, the only reason you've come is for the signs. You just wanted to see miracles, not for the one to whom they point. But this time, he took it a step further in verse 26. Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, but not even because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Can I ask you, what, what's that about? What, what's, that, what's he saying there? I mean, it's like he's saying, okay, I did a sign that you've begun to recognize, pointed to who I am, the Messiah. You seem to have recognized that. But that sign was like all other signs in this world. That sign didn't last. So, so yesterday, 
you ate and you had your fill. But here you are again and you're hungry again, right? Learn from that, he said. <laughs> Learn from that. That you can't he's, he's work for, put your focus on temporary things in this world. Learn this lesson. You need to have food that will last, and I have come to give you eternal food. Well, what they said is, yeah, we want, we want that eternal food, but they seem to be baffled by what he meant by it. Are you baffled by what he meant by it? Well, you're not saying yes, but, <laughs> but I want you to read the whole dialogue. I only gave Lillian a little bit of it for her to read to you, but it runs all the way from verse 25 to verse 65. I'll just boil down what took place. The uh, disciples, I mean, the, the crowds thought that Jesus was going to be a, a Moses-like Messiah. That's kind of what they thought. Looking back to Moses, do you remember what Moses had done? He had rescued his people, God's people, from, from, from tyranny, from, from, from the Pharaoh in Egypt. And then leading them across the wilderness, he had, they said, provided food for them too. Forty years Manna that came in the wilderness. Do you know that story? If you're new to church, you may not. You can read the book of Exodus and you can see all about it. Now they think, oh, Jesus is beginning to feed us. He must be Messiah. But when they come to him, they want to have more of this. It's almost like they're saying, Jesus, uh, you know, you could really be great. We think you could become maybe as great as, as Messiah. But you need, as Moses, but, but, but you have to remember, he really freed them from an oppressive government. And then he fed them for 40 years, six days a week. Jesus, you fed us yesterday, big deal. We want you to do a whole lot more. If you let us make you king, we think maybe you'll do some really great things. This is the spirit of this conversation. <laughs> and you heard Lillian read it. Uh, Jesus told them, Moses didn't do any of that. Moses didn't do any of that. My Father in heaven did all that. And I'm not Moses. I'm the bread come from heaven to give you eternal life. If you're going to have the life that you're looking for, if you're going to have life that will last, you have to receive me into your life. I am the one who has come to give you bread that cannot be taken away. And, and, and Jesus used really shocking language to try to get their attention of, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. How would you like it if I preached that to you this morning? All of you have come. As I told you a few weeks ago, I, I think he used language like this to try to shake us and shake them out of their dullness so that they could begin to realize that the things they really seem to be longing for, temporary things, are not lasting things. That he had come for more than just bringing one people group liberation from one political government. He had come for more than just giving us a few meals that leave people hungry the next day. Let me show you verses 57 and 58. The one who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died. But whoever eats on this bread will live forever. 
the Bible says with this kind of word. Most of the people turned away and no longer followed Jesus. You see what they wanted. I mean, why had they come? Why had, why had they gone to church? <laughs> why had they gone to Jesus that day? They really, the, the reason they went was that they were trying to get him to do what they wanted him to do. Not to surrender their lives to him. It, when you read it, they wanted to force him to become king. What kind of a king is that? Who doesn't give the orders, <laughs> but receives the orders from others. What kind of king is that? They didn't come to receive him into the center of their lives and allow him to take it over. Uh, they wanted him to do whatever they demanded. So again, I just ask you, why did you come to church today? Notice this, though. While most of the crowd walked away from Jesus and wanted nothing to do with him, some stayed. And I'm praying that will be true of all of you who've come to Lake Avenue Church this morning and who listen in online and so uh, Jesus turns to them and he says, what about you? Are you going to leave too? And you know this famous words from Peter. I love them. I pray that we will give this confession. Lord, to whom shall we go? I mean, you alone have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, when, when I read that, do you remember how imperfect these disciples, including Peter, have been up to now? I mean, they had been as disworldly, obsessed, material things obsessed as anybody else had been up to now. But here we see something in John's gospel that is happening that's different. They seem to have come alive to eternal things for the first time. It's what being born again is all about, you know. At first we've just been alive to the things that are here. They, they seem to have started to see more. Now, when I say that, these were still some flawed disciples. In the rest of this series, we're gonna still see that they are not perfect. They were, as Denny Balesi used to call us, pieces of work, and you are that. I'll, I'll just quote Denny to say that. So am I. They were still flawed people, but something had happened to them that made it so that when the others left, this group, except for one, verse 70, uh, Judas, who would betray him, the rest of them would continue to follow him no matter what happened and all the way to the end. Somehow this group had truly welcomed Jesus into their space, into their lives, in a way that would not go away. To use Jesus' language, they had actually understood what it means to drink his blood and eat his flesh. So I'll ask this question, what? What had happened to them that changed their lives? When did it happen? And that's my second, final question today. I've called it, what happened in that boat? Verse 21, then they were willing to take Jesus in to the boat. All right, to, to grasp the significance of this whole event, you've got to know that most people in the Middle East in Bible times had a terrible fear of storms at sea. Even though some of these disciples of Jesus were, were fishermen, they would have shared that fear. A part of it was that the Sea of Galilee was about 
600 feet below sea level. This will be for all the scientists who come here and meteorologists or interested people. It was about 600 feet below. So the air there in the Sea of Galilee, if you've ever been there, it's very moist, it's very warm on a normal day. But then when a cold front would come through, that would change things. Uh, if, if you've been here the whole time, I've been, I call those ecotonic spaces. It's where you have ecosystems converge with one another. And when you have that cold front converging with that warm, moist air, what happens is, well, there would be violent squalls that would come up. Also, the people didn't really know what was underneath that water. And that's what happened that day. They saw it coming. It was a particularly fearful time. Jesus shoved them out. They didn't know what was under that water. They couldn't control the storm. I found just a wonderful picture by American artist Henry Tanner back in the 19th century that tries, so you can kind of get a feel being out there in that boat at night. So just consider that setting. Uh, Jesus had intentionally sent his disciples out into the sea. Just think of that. Reminds me of so many of the very difficult situations in my own life when the difficulty came specifically because I did what I thought God would have me to do as best I could understand it, and then I found myself in a situation that was completely outside of my control. So I was talking about this with some of the other pastors on Tuesday, and they said, tell us one of those times. I can think of so many, but I'll just tell you one because you won't stay for all of them. But in one of them, and I've, I've, I've told you a little bit about this in a sermon a while ago, it was back when I lived in Germany. I'd first moved there. Um, I had always wanted us to go up to northern Germany. That's where the churches were small, and I kept thinking they needed to hear about Jesus up there. And our, our, the head of our team didn't want to go up there because they didn't ever give any money when we went up there. So. But finally he agreed and set up a meeting in, in Lübeck in northern Germany. Um, so uh, back then, some of the churches up there, and I don't know what's happening there now, I've been away so long, weren't really positive about what they called born-agains, that, that's a person like me who called peace to personal faith in Jesus, kind of the way Jesus was doing right here in John chapter 6. So that day was there. It was about a 50-mile drive from where I lived in Hamburg. I'll, I'll put a picture so you can just picture me taking this trip up here up to Lübeck. So I was picked up the morning that we were going to have this evening, which was supposed to be a music with a message. And we had uh, two of my friends, Swedish musicians, who were there, and, and the truck driver. But the man who was the head of the team, and usually was the, the preacher, didn't want to go, and so he didn't show up. So it was just us. So as I got into the truck, they told me, well, he's not here, Greg, so you have to bring the message. Now, <laughs> all right. At that time, I could hardly speak any German. I had never been to seminary. Uh, I'd, I'd spoken a couple of times at places. I didn't have any sermon prepared. All to say I didn't really feel equipped to do this. It seemed outside of my control. Then, I, this is the part I think I told you, as the bishop of all the churches up there came to introduce us, he did it in this way. I didn't want this group of evangelicals to come, but, <laughs> but some of our younger adults wanted them to come, so here they are. So let's let them show us what they could do. And on we went. <laughs> Let me just ask you, have you ever been in a situation like that? The disciples were. John 6, they were filled with terror at a time and in a place where they were specifically sent by Jesus. On their own, 
they weren't going to be able to do this. And then, of course, you say, this is exciting. They, they thought they saw Jesus or someone walking toward them. But the other gospels tell us they thought it was a ghost, so that didn't help at all. They were even more scared. So it's at that time, a time of unfathomable anxiety and fear that we read those words of scripture that I told you I want you to hear, I want you to meditate on, and I want you to take home today. Can I show them to you yet again? Jesus said to his followers, I am. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. I want to keep that verse up here. I want to show you two moving parts of it. One, I am. If you are having your Bible in front of you, you'll probably say, well, it just says it is I. Let me tell you, that's what he said. Ego a me, I am. If you've read much of the Old Testament, you know that that's the very way that God made himself known. I am who I am. And with those words, Jesus is fully identifying himself with the God who is the maker of heaven and earth. Later, he would even say it more clearly in John 14, 9. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. I am is what he says to them in the darkness. Through me, light came into darkness, and it still does. I am. Through me, these seas were made and everything in them. I am, and I have come to be with you. I am. I can walk on this water. I can calm this storm. Fear not. Can you see that? The second part I want you to see is what they did. And my version says they were willing to take him in. I want to tell you that the language is much more personal and intimate than that. It's, It's not just willing to take him in. It has to do with welcoming somebody joyously. It it has to do with intimacy of receiving them. They'd just been so afraid of him. At arm's length, ghost. Now they hear him. They've been holding him at arm's length. Now they bring him in. They intentionally and consciously received him into their space of anxiety and into their lives. And you know what happened? Jesus came in and saved them. And he still does. It was all the work of Jesus. And yet, as always, when Jesus speaks to you, we need to respond, right? Notice how they responded. They recognized their need. They knew that on their own, they couldn't do this. They needed somebody who wasn't in the same mess as they were to come and get them out. Do you ever feel that way? Two, they heard his voice. They took the time in the midst of the storm to hear what Jesus was actually saying to them. Three, they recognized who Jesus is. He was the one who'd called them to himself in the first place. He was the one who had provided bread for them (laughs) that very day, remember? He was the one who loved them. And seeing all that, they welcomed him in. I'm so convinced that this was the turning point of their lives. They would still have a whole lot of learning to do, a whole lot of maturing to do. 
but th this time of inviting Jesus by faith into their lives is what I think made it so that when everybody else turned away, they did not. With all that going on, may I read Peter's words to you again? Jesus said to his followers, will you go too? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe. We have come more than that to know that you and you alone are the Holy One of God. I've been thinking, you can tell, I've been thinking about this message a lot this week and those of you who would actually be able to come here, you've come even through the rain here to be in church with us today, I've just really felt that many of us here need to hear that message now. And if you don't need it now, if you don't feel like you're in one of those storms, I'm just telling you, wait a day. Wait a day. They, they just keep coming this side of heaven, don't they? I, th I think I told Pastor Jeff, I, I, I feel like over the past month, I've had more meetings with many of you of times that you have gone through such storms or are going through them. They're of every kind imaginable. And I, I've just thought as I've prepared this message that you need to hear. If, can we put this back up here again? And we're just gonna keep this up. We need, you need to hear Jesus say to you, I am, yeah, fear not. And you need to welcome him in to that place, to that space, to that crisis in your life. So, so the remaining part of just the words I wanna give to you today, it's, I feel like this is gonna be more of a, a pastoral chat. Uh, a growing older pastor chat with people he loves to you. Um, I thought this would apply to so many parts of our lives, but then there are two that I think are particularly important for you to hear. One is, I think this is an important word when you have things happen in your life that you feel are just out of control. The, those times that are out of our control, they start when we're little babies, right? So when a little baby is, is so small, they, they have times when they feel pain, or times when they're hungry, or times the baby can't understand where their mom is. But what can they do about any of those things on their own? It's outside of their control. All they can do is cry, cry for help, and hope somebody will step in, right? And, and, and sometimes we think, well, as I grow older, I'll become self-sufficient, and we become more sufficient. We can get food ourselves and so forth. But, but I'm just telling you this. Those times when the world seems out of control continue on in our lives. So when I was a university president, I remember one of the most moving times when I gathered together with a group of other university presidents, and they were from both Christian and non-Christian, you know, secular universities, because there was a growing phenomenon that was becoming a major crisis on our campuses, it still is. The phenomenon is among so many of our students who are in the, between that age of 18 and 23 or 24, uh, there was a growing phenomenon of eating disorders and cutting. It still happens hearing that this usually begins somewhere in the junior high years. Both of those are acts of self-destruction. So as we gathered there as presidents to hear what's happening in our students' lives, we were there with psychiatrists and psychologists to try to help us understand how we can serve and provide a community that's helpful. And the consistent word of each one of the experts was that the biggest, the foundational problem was a loss of control. 
the, the thought of I'll never be able to live up to the expectations of my perfectionist family or friends. I can't even live up to my own expectations and feeling that. This, I can control this. I can hurt myself. I deserve it. I need it. It was a cry for help. It was self-destructive. And I felt like it's not just for babies and for students. I've just discovered again and again in my own life and among so many of us, these incidences of feeling out of control never end this side of heaven. I'll tell you, when they come, sometimes you need some good Christ-centered therapy and counseling, and we have some wonderful counselors here. And always, I feel like you need a good small group of believers who pray with you and that you can do life with. That's important too. But I am committed to this, that foundationally, you need this. You need to bring Jesus into your life. You need to hear in the midst of everything being out of control, Jesus, the one through whom your life was made and this whole world was made, coming and saying, I know you, I love you, I am. Don't be afraid. And then personally, intentionally, consciously, welcome him into that space, that crisis in your life. The other time that so many of you have shared with me are times of loss. That loss can be so many things. A bad health diagnosis, prognosis, not long to live. The loss of a job, the loss of a loved one, loss of a friend. I have just found what few things in this world are more difficult for us than losing things. In those times, you know everything's going to have to change, right? And the future often looks dark and uncertain, as dark as that Sea of Galilee must have looked to those disciples out there in the boat. And those times, what I'm praying, what, what I'm longing for you to learn to do is to see Jesus coming to you in the midst of that storm, walking where no one else can walk, able to do what no one else can do. And I want you to remember these words from Scripture. I am, don't be afraid, and then welcome him in. I want to give you just a moment to do that right now and to hear Jesus say that to you. Um, so think it over right now. Where would there be a place in your life where you need to hear Jesus say that to you? We'll just keep that verse up there in front of you. I don't know if it's still there, but let's get it back up there so you can. Where do you need to hear Jesus say that to you even now? I shared with you that time in Lubeck when I felt like I needed to hear him say that. Should I, should I tell you what happened? It, this doesn't always happen. Sometimes uh, when I get into a difficult situation, I, I walk out of there and it's just as difficult or more difficult than it was. But if we're faithful in doing what God calls us to do, we, we still are at peace, right? But then there are those times that he does for us what he did for them back there on the sea. Uh, that, that evening, after doing 30 to 45 minutes of music after the worst introduction of a group ever given in history, I preached a sermon with broken German and virtually no preparation. Homiletics, that's the phrase I would use as a seminary uh, president for preparing a sermon. 
So uh, this was the worst homiletical sermon probably ever preached in the history of the world, done with uh, broken, broken German. I don't know if they understood a word that I said, but, but I'll tell you, I knew I had to do it. I felt like Jesus had come and pushed me out into that boat. You've got to preach, Greg, my Swedish friend <laughs> said to me. I knew I had no choice in this matter. And so, and so I did. And I just want to tell you, um, hearing him say, Greg, I sent you to Lubeck. I am. I will be with there, with you. So, so I welcomed him in and to take over. And I'll tell you, people came to faith that night in Jesus. People who have stayed in the faith since that time that I still have some contact with came to Jesus. I don't know what they understood. Maybe they just saw something of the truth of God and what happened. And so I am praying that somehow you might experience something of that even now. For those of us on the main floor and who can, if you'll take out your kneelers for just a moment and, uh, and for those, uh, you can take a, a, a position of, of kneeling and surrendering to the Lord as Mark and, and the group come. Bring these matters to the Lord. Let him know that he sets you free, that he will be there and be sufficient for whatever you are facing. So spend a few moments in prayer. Then I'll come back and close our time.